0: Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. This week's Parsha, Vayeshev, opens by setting the scene for Yaakov settling down later in life. And what we're going to do today is look at just the first four verses from this Parsha and think about what kind of picture it's painting about Yaakov settling down and about what Yosef's like, life looks like, and what the brother's life looks like, based on Yaakov's role within it. So we'll just look first at the first four psukim. So the first opens with, Vayishiv Yaakov megure Aviv Now Yaakov settled in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. Okay, good. Yaakov, after all the struggles of his life, is finally back home, and he is now settled in the place where he and God had promised, sort of each other, um, that they would that he would eventually return to. So this seems like a positive development. And then we have, as is common with telling us about the lives of important people in Genesis, we have Eli told out Yaakov, and this is the line of Jacob. And of course, famously, we would expect his genealogy to follow, but instead what follows right after that is the story of Yosef, who at this point is 17 years old. And the text tells us that he tends to the flocks with his brothers as a helper to the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilbah, that's the JPS translation. It's only one interpretation. And then things go sour pretty quickly. Now Yosef brought the dibatam ra'ah, the bad reports of his brothers, to their father. So the first thing we know is that Yosef is tattletaling, let's say, on his brothers to their father. And then verse 3 just makes everything seem even kind of worse because it tells us that Yaakov loved Yosef the best from all his sons, Kibain Zikunim Hulo, for he was the child of his old age, and he made Yosef a e ketone pasim, um, some kind of tunic or garment that seems to be fancy, and certainly the other brothers did not have for themselves. And in verse four, we bring the other brothers into it because they see that their father loved Yosef more than he loved all of any of the other brothers. And therefore, they hate Yosef and they cannot speak to him peacefully. So this is a pretty terrible introduction to lay the groundwork for what Yaakov's family is going to look like. What is Yaakov's legacy going to be? It all starts with this this tragic, this even corrupted dynamic between Yosef and the rest of his brothers. Now, when you look at it, It becomes kind of a dumping ground for Yaakov. These first four verses do not make Yaakov look very good. He, it seems, he's created somehow in one way or another, this dynamic in which the brothers, he favors Yosef. He loves Yosef more than everyone else. He's tattletaling on them. He's totally in a different camp than they are. And they know it. And then they therefore hate him. So I wanted to consider what exactly is Yaakov's role within this story? And what got me thinking about it is the Rashi on verse two. So Rashi is talking about the question of why does it say Ela Toldot Yakov? What these are the this is the line of Jacob, or perhaps this is the story of Jacob, before introducing the story of Yosef and his brothers. So Rashi offers a number of interpretations he says, well, maybe it's because just here is the story. This is the story that begins the descent of everyone down to Egypt. And so though um, Yaakov now is settled in Canaan, we know that that's not the end of really the end of the story um, of him and certainly of his children. And so this is what begins that story. Or he offers that actually there were a lot of similarities between Yaakov and Yosef. And so therefore, as we're telling the story of Yaakov's life, we're also telling the story of Yosef's life that both were hated by their brothers and both were actually um, their brothers wanted to kill them and so there were similarities and therefore it makes sense to connect them but then Rashi offers a comment that that some may know already and then I think it, it I really have somewhat of an issue of it so he says for why then is it does it say specifically Vayeshev um, that Yaakov dwelt in the land that he rested in the land um, and he says, Yaakov b'shalva. Jacob wished to live at ease. Yaakov wanted to live peacefully. He's had a rough life. Things have been all over the place. He's rarely actually had control over his own life and circumstances. Now he's finally ready. He wants to just settle down. But there's a problem. Kafat alav, shel yosef. But... The, um, the, the, the negativity of Yosef, the, the trouble, the problems of Yosef um, suddenly came upon him. They like jumped upon him. And then he goes on to say that, you know, they, they want to live in this world, but God says, no, you're going to have peace in the next world. So in this world, um, you know, you're not going to have it. But what's my issue with this formulation? Yaakov, he just wants to settle down. He just wants to be in peace. But what this text makes it seem is he's completely passive in this process. That suddenly, out of nowhere, comes this scene with Yosef. It jumped upon him, all this negativity. And I really have an issue <laughs> with this interpretation, especially because I do think it becomes one of the um, more well-known interpretations, because it makes Yaakov totally passive in this. He just wants everyone to leave him alone, but this situation with Yosef comes out of nowhere. Now, like I said, I, I find this an interesting setup that Rashi offers us based in the Midrash, because the text itself does really seem to put a lot of the fault in Yaakov himself. So how could the, the, you know, how could the Midrash really imagine that he is passive in that? I think it's a beautiful comment, but I actually think that it, it's somewhat problematic. But I also think that we may not be helped necessarily by looking to Yaakov and just saying, well, he messed this all up, so this was all his fault anyway, and then ending the conversation. And I was really struck by one perspective that the toldot Yitzchak offers. This is the commentary of Rabbi Yosef Karo on the Torah. I love something that he points out. I wanted to just look at his comments today and then conclude with a message I think he can teach us. So first of all, he says, why specifically did Yaakov love Yosef more? He says... It was not because Yosef would brought this dibaraa back to him that Yosef would report back to Yaakov on what the brothers were doing, right? That he was kind of um, Yaakov's um, like insider source, whistleblower, if you will. It's that's not the reason. In fact, Yaakov just loved Yosef because of his chachma, because of his wisdom. Yosef was a wise person and Yaakov loved that about him and therefore loved him more than the other brothers. So it has nothing to do with ya- with Yosef's behavior vis-a-vis the other brothers. It just has to do with who Yosef is as a person. Now, what I think is really interesting is his next comment because in his next comment, he says, he explores how the brothers then Figured out, right? How did they know that ya- that Yaakov loved Yosef more than any of them? And he says it's not because of the chokhmah necessarily. It's not that Yaakov's behavior towards Yosef fundamentally communicated that he loved him more. Maybe Yaakov was able to rein that in, or maybe it just, I don't know, it just wasn't apparent or didn't bother them. What bothered the brothers to the point where this whole tragedy with selling Yosef and throwing him in the pit, etc. unfolded? What bothered them is that when Yosef brought Yaakov, the dibara'ah, the negative report about them, he didn't dismiss it as foolishness. He didn't say, Ugh forget it. This is ridiculous. He actually believed it. He accepted this bad report. And the brothers at that point, they saw it. They are expecting that Yosef is bringing Yaakov, you know, all the telling, tattletaling of what they've done that day. And that their father is going to dismiss and say, Yosef, get out of here. Or, Yosef, that's wrong. It's not true. Or, it's foolishness. No, I'm not going to accept that. But instead, what the Toldot Yitzchak argues is that Yosef, is that Yaakov. He gave the impression that he believed what Yosef was saying to to him, and at that point, that's when the brothers concluded that he must that Yosef excuse me that Yaakov really did believe what Yosef was telling them, and therefore believed that Yaakov loved Yosef more than them. Now, I think this is really a profound statement that the Toto Yitzchak is telling us, because I think, I don't know if he's saying this directly, but he's implying certainly that perhaps this dibara'ah was not true, or at least that it was one-sided, that it was manipulated. And the brothers felt that to the point where they expected that their father would dismiss it, that he would say, no, this is wrong, this isn't right, I'm not going to listen to this. But what really killed them, what got to them, was the fact that he believed it. That he didn't rebuke Yosef for it. And whether he did believe it, he certainly gave the impression that he believed it. And therefore, that's what's communicated. That's what communicated to the brothers that their father loved Yosef more than he loved them. And I thought that this was, this is just, this is so, first of all, it's so sad. It's such a sad commentary on Yaakov and his, where he he just came short of being able to parent all of his children and to really take control of of out-of-control situations. But I think it's also such a sad commentary, an important one for us to remember, because It also means that where Yaakov failed was that he never gave the brothers an opportunity to explain themselves. He never offered them, he never made it a a, a fair interaction, a fair fight, right? It was just that Yosef said, here's what's going on, and he took it at face value and didn't even turn to the brothers to get their own opinion, and that is what, not the loving him for being more wise, but that is what gave the brothers the impression that Yaakov loved Yosef more, which led to the whole catastrophe of them, ending, um, of them all ending up in Egypt. And I think this is such a, a, an important message for us to remember um, and an ethic for us to live by, because if, it, it, it forces us to confront ourselves in our own um, situations when we're constantly bombarded by information. And we all have to consider, when are we making judgments before we've heard the other side, right? When are we just hearing negative reports about someone or something or a group of people or whatever it is, and we're saying, oh, yeah, that's like a really bad thing. And um, we're not really taking the time to, to challenge ourselves to think critically, to think about, well, what might the other side of this story say? And I think that not only are we then, um, playing into injustices or becoming part of injustices. But as we see with Yaakov, when are we actually even perhaps creating injustices in our midst by Listening to convincing things that we hear out in the news or out in our families or in our communities or whatever a- a before we stop to consider that there might be two sides to the story. And if Yaakov had stopped to consider that there might be two sides of the story and that he should have asked the brothers and not just accepted what Yosef told him at face value, we could have avoided um, the whole catastrophe that befell the brothers and our people in our history. So Shabbat Shalom and as we enter this Shabbos and, and And the new year as well, I encourage us um, to all, you know, just remember to always think critically, um, to consider both sides and never just take anything that people tell us without thinking for ourselves as well. Shabbat shalom.